welcome to another episode of the Places Will Go show. Now today, we really have another fabulous guest for you on the show, Christoph Fahi, the current Global Chief Marketing Officer of Moonpick. Now, for all of you who may not know Moonpick, there are very few, I'm sure. Um, they're an online gift and card company and actually a, a constituent of the FTSE 250 as well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Christoph. So his marketing pedigree is really second to none. He was named one of the top 100 marketers in the UK by Marketing Week recently. And he's held the top marketing job at organizations like William Hill, Telegraph Media Group, and Ladbroke Coral Group as well. So really is an absolute veteran into the industry. I would also say that Christoph is an incredibly astute and commercial marketer. He knows how to bring a brand to life, and he's done so to a T at Moonpig, from the iconic logo, the jingle, and even the characters. So I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit more about that, as well as what makes Christoph tick um, along the way and into the journey. So on that note, Christoph, it's with absolute pleasure that we get to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, yeah, likewise for me, Christoph, fantastic to have you here. Um, and uh, I, I love Moonpig. And, and I, I guess you're in a business of joy, which must be great, because there's many that aren't in these times. Uh, so there you go. Fabulous to have you on. So so how's 23? How's it shaping up? How are you doing so far? Uh, I mean, good. Like, good, I think. is. It? I mean, it's like on a work level, it was... Like obviously peaks are really important to us. So Christmas was, is a busy time for us at Moonpig and uh, and not ma- not hugely helped by um, our friendly Royal Mail strikes. Uh, obviously, as we send quite a lot of cards through the post. So that made for a, made for a kind of interesting, an interesting Christmas. Um, and then I think what's interesting from our business is we sort of, we go, we go come pour out of Christmas, we go straight into Valentine's Day, straight out through to Mother's Day and straight into Father's Day. So we have this kind of, half of the year where it's quite quite I, I say hard it, I mean it's fun right like it's what we do is we do a lovely thing right so I think that's for me that's really important but there are it's you kind of you've got quite big targets against you you've got quite a lot of work you're coming out of one peak straight into another so it's quite a hard half of the year so look we're in it peaks I think we call it peak you know obviously it's peak but it's busy we like it it gets people together um and people can focus pretty hard on delivering some quite strong commercial targets which is good um so i like that and then on a, on a sort of personal level i had a super nice break got off went to cornwall looked at the sea went for nice walks with the dog and just sort of had a bit of a, a bit of a breather because knowing we come back in so not only from a sort of work perspective where we got these peaks we also we also go straight into budget as well because our budget year is april april so we end up you sort of have this twin track of like peak budget peak budget peak budget and you're like oh my god so it's um it's quite it's quite punchy the beginning of the year um so yeah hey, it's, it sounds, it's, sounds almost overwhelming. yeah sounds almost uh relentless and particularly for each one yeah i think it, yeah it's it's interesting i think some what I mean, I, I, I've, I suppose I've worked in businesses and I've worked, I suppose I've realized along the way that I like businesses that move at pace. I think that's one of the things that sort of has attracted me to. And so I think I'll actually, I probably really landed in that when I sort of went into the world of betting and gaming, right? Because it's sort of, it's incredibly fast paced because obviously on any single day, you've got X number of race horse races. You've got X number of football matches, tennis. I mean, you've you've got multiple events, and effectively, you're trying to market 
not all of them, obviously, but you're trying to <laughs> take to customers that there's lots of opportunities. So, you know, it's and of course, it, that's 24 seven now, because you obviously if one, you know, if the UK stops racing, South Africa started or Australia started or the States has started. So it's literally so you just you kind of realized you were always on. And but I actually what I loved was the pace and I love the thinking and I love the ability of having to make quick decisions and maybe not making the right ones all the time. But you just had to kind of go left or right, let's go and then quickly learn and then move on. And I think well, that's what I really liked. And then so when I got to Moonpig, I really liked it because you were that we're selling cards every day. We're selling gifts and flowers every day. Um, we have some days that are busier than others and we have some days that are smaller than others. But, and then we have these peaks. So you're kind of going like that and then it goes up and then it comes back down. But, but you know, we're open 24 seven, right? And we, and we print and send cards every single day. So there's, there's, there's no, off time is the wrong phrase, but there's, there's no time we're not working or there's no time that people aren't working in a business and we're not doing, doing great things for customers. But you have to then pick your times to like fully engage and then find, find times to switch off because if you were an extreme workaholic, I think you could, I think you could be, a, you could be working, you could be working seven days a week, 24 hours a day without actually that being that hard. So, yeah. Um, fascinating to hear, just as you're talking, like there's raw energy that comes through. It's clear you like pace. Uh, it's interesting you talked about that sort of almost forces you to make instinctive decisions. So I'm, I'm going to jump right in. What, what are some of the sort of the quick, best quick fire decisions you've, had to make i think one one of the most recent ones was i so on my journey to 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 getting the job at moonpig like you obviously talk to people when you're going through the interview process and i and i remember sort of being watching my son play rugby on that you know just i don't know it was a drizzly sunday morning i think on some sort of muddy field in Teddington and uh and this guy said oh you know how you going so i'm going for this job at moonpig and he literally just sang the jingle at me i went right that's good and then this other person went oh i know that jingle and they were singing the jingle and then when i landed at moon pig i was like cool like what we're we doing with the jingle oh no we stopped using it we switched it off like 12 months ago there was some research done that showed it wasn't effective and i'm just so so two weeks in i was like <laughs> we're bringing it back so we brought it back i'll just put it on everything i mean i'm <laughs> this is not a technical term but i put on everything i could but like i just sort of like radio re-recorded the ends and just and then I, we had an all hands at that point because we were all in the office. And I stood up at the all hands and I said, look, just, you know, hi, I'm Christoph, been here a couple of weeks, just wanted to say, I'm just, we're going to bring the jingle back. And everyone applauded. There was this, like, people clapped. And I was like, this, something's happened here. Like, the marketing team was, and it's, look, I think they did some great work. So it's not, a, they, I feel like they lost a connection with a key brand asset that the business had. Now, obviously, as I'm sure, you know, you guys know, and this is one of my sort of pets, sort of, I don't know, soapbox, soapbox themes to my team is we obviously hear that jingle a lot, like a lot, like a huge amount. And of course, it becomes quite like, you know, it's got an earworm effect, which is the point of it. Right. So I think people can get bored of their own brand assets quite quickly and they're constantly looking to tweak them and change them and add a load of value. I was like, we'll bring the jingle back. So that was my first two weeks quick instant decision. And it was great. And it stuck. And then we did a really nice thing internally, which is we wanted to re-record it. So we ran a competition internally. And we found we had this amazing singer in the business. So she recorded it. So it wasn't now. She, she actually, she's moved on to another business. But so that was lovely. So the, our jingle is actually sung by a Moonpig employee, which was great. She's called Roxanne. Brilliant. She's got a great voice. Um, so that was another nice little thing of just tying the business back in. 
And then the other thing I did was bring these things back. So I brought the moon pig back, um, but reinvented it. So again, they got rid of the asset. And I was like, we've got this an amazing name. Right? We've got this amazing name, moon pig. We had this little asset. It was a bit, it was old and it need tidied up. But they've done this whole video. You can still find it on YouTube of retiring the moon pig. Like it's kind of uh, <clears throat> sort of almost putting the moon pig in a retirement home. So I brought it back. I mean, not, we reinvented it. And, um, and, ever, and, ever, and again, like just... On a sort of technical level, you know, the ads tested incredibly well, much better than any other ads we'd ever done. <laughs> and then on a sort of on a, on a kind of almost emotional level with customers, we've had so much response. So that's why we now actually make these and sell these. And then internally, people people loved it. So it did a nice thing across. If I was sort of post rationalizing it, I'd probably draw a nice triangle on a piece of on a piece of you know on a Google sheet or a PowerPoint deck and and, persuade, and sort of say that I thought about that all before, but I hadn't. But it was just in my head was, let's bring back the core assets and and now we've just got this great thing and we use it everything and we dress it up in avocados and I've got the heart one which you can't quite see and it's great. So yeah, I think those recently those are sort of nice decisions I've made. And then I think I mean if we're being kind of open and honest, then you have to make harder ones right sometimes about people and roles and and where you're going to focus and i think some of those things have been were were interesting and i think across my career you've you've you found those things where something isn't working or someone isn't working and they may be right but it's the wrong place and i mean just when i was at hills i brought um <laughs> so when i joined hills like the it, the idea of customer research was really i would have put it alien because the view was um so lots of the senior management had worked at Hills all their life, right? So the average tenure was about 22, 23 years. And a lot of them had started in shops, right? So they were like, look, there's nothing, there's nothing we don't know about customers. I'm like, oh, this is, okay, this is going to be a tough, a slightly tough journey. Anyway, I managed to persuade them to get a, a researcher in. So we got this amazing person in. Um, anyway, she was, she, she was from Betfair. She was brilliant. But she was, I, she was too much too early if that makes like she was she's an incredible communicator knew her craft incredibly well but I learned a lesson then that it was almost I needed to kind of run in baby steps is how I put it of like I'd, I'd sort of gone and got someone who you know people like me and you would be used to working with at a research level so like strong communicator heavily database but with quite strong opinions about what we should change and it was just too like too much too early so I kind of reset it and then sort of ran in baby steps and then ended up with a great, strong research team who are actually, uh, I moved, they happened to come with me when I uh, left to go to uh, Labrooks and uh, they're still there. So it's a great sign. But, you know, that kind of just a learning of like understanding the pace of the business and the amount of change you could put in that was successful without trying to almost, <laughs> it's almost like having an organ rejected. And I know it's a, terrible analogy but like it's there's a piece around um i always said my journey at hills was i was um so i was the you know i was an organ that was transplanted and they started every day with when i first started they started with this many pills um and then even at the end they were still taking a few just to make sure so um it was okay so yeah, it's kind of um yeah there's been some there's been some interesting decisions i feel like i've dribbled on then but anyway hopefully that's useful Hey, no, not not at all, Christoph. I mean, really fascinating stuff. And I, you know, picking up on on the first part. I mean, uh, Byron Sharp will probably be proud for listening to this. I mean, really classical, you know, brand distinct assets, and and as you say, bringing some real, real uh, zest back into the organization. And I once heard this lovely quote that said, you know, most of the answers lie in the past, and perhaps yeah. you know your ability of re reinvigorating things 
um, was 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 really part of that magic. I think yeah, you, I think... Uh, you recently saw the. Uh... Go on. No, I just, I, it was a. I mean, again, what I've always so I, I'm a big believer that the business knows the answer, right? And it may not be the people who sit around the exec table or leadership team, and and and, and, and to be. To be honest, often it isn't, I think. So, but I think in the business, you will find people, and certainly where people have a, a longer tenure. So, both probably Hills and Labrador is a place where I've worked with, you know, large retail sort of footprint, you know, two, 2,000 odd shops, you know, 14, 15,000 odd employees. In those, in those teams are answers, right? And Again, I remember, I think, doing a shop visit at Labrooks and um, I was talking to a manager, I think it was actually in Bristol, and she was, I was saying that none of our promotions are working. They don't seem to be drawing any other customers in. And she just go, well, that's simple. It's simple because the way it works, she said, is you have a thing saying, let's call it like, win 50 grand on a poster, just as an example. She goes, my shop has got the same people in most days. So between 20 and 50 people in most days, right? And they're roughly the same. Like a treat, think of it as a local pub, right? Without the alcohol. And she was, and she was like, they don't think they'll ever win that 50K. So they never enter. She said, if you make it, someone in this shop will win a hundred pounds. She said, everyone will enter and you'll get them to download the app or all the things that we were trying to do, build a database, all those kind of good things. I was like, so literally, I went back. So I, William Hill was the marketing team were mainly based in Leeds. So the next time I was up in Leeds, which was the next day, I said, "Right, from now on, every promotion is someone in the shop will win." And literally, our data and collection just went. Whoosh. And so there, you know, that was just a me asking a good question. Actually, it wasn't even a good question. It was a question, and someone just go, "Oh yeah, I'll tell you the answer." But if I'd have never asked. She would have, but she knew, like, and she was there. She goes, I know, I've known this for like six years, like, and no one's talked to me. And I was like, so I did, like, one of my things I loved was doing shop visits because actually I always used to just go, like, what are we doing wrong? What's not right? Why, why isn't that work? Do you think this, you know, we signed Robbie Savage when I was at Hills and it was like quite, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a black and white, you know, kind of salt and pepper type figure. People love him, hate him. And uh, Marmite figure, I should have said, but you know, but but what was nice is getting people's opinions. So it was just great. So I think, and I think that's one level. But I also think, I mean, you know, I'm sure we've all worked with consultants who come in, you know, big four. What they do, I mean, it's a great trick. Obviously, is they go around, don't they, and they kind of interview everybody, and then basically someone at some point tells them something that is actually the answer, and then they represent it back and then charge you hundreds of thousands of pounds. I mean, it's a brilliant trick, right? And well done them. But um. So I genuinely think I genuinely think for ninety nine point nine percent of the time, someone in your business will know, and it's a it's a it's a question of extracting that and finding a way of getting it out of people because sometimes people won't feel confident or they don't know or they don't get talked to or they just don't have a route. So yeah, I mean, what you've just talked there, Christoph, is the you know is, is the core skill of marketers, which is often the answer lies within or the answer is hiding in plain sight and you've got to have that curiosity to find it and asking the right questions. Um, what I want to do now is uh, go back and understand what shaped you into the Christoph Fahey that we know today. So t- tell us a bit about grow- growing up, some influences along the way. God, that's a lovely question. Uh, so I'm, I would 100% call myself for like an, I've called myself two, two things in the past, an accidental careerist and both an accidental marketeer. 
So um, I am. I mean, look, I grew up in. I was born in London. Grew up in Edinburgh, Bristol. Uh, went to university in Leeds. I uh, <laughs> so I did English at Leeds. Loved it. I had. I mean, I I had no idea what I wanted to do. I mean, I I did English because I liked it, and which was great. And I, I'm 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 in the process of talking to my kids about A level choices and all those things. And I'm like, you know, I just went because I did something nice. And I remember walking through the uh, one of the halls in Leeds. And uh, I mean, I found out afterwards, which is just a terrible thing, really. <laughs> and there was all these stalls up from with company names on. I was like, what's that? Anyway, it didn't stop. I just walked through. I mean, I was going to say I went to get a coffee. I didn't. I went I went to get a pint. And um, and uh, I was like, what's that going on? And they said, oh, that's called the milk round. And that's where you go and talk to you know companies about jobs after Google. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I said, is it on tomorrow? They're like, no, it's, it's been on all week and it's, it's finished. I was like, oh. So I think that was one of, like, a little mistake I might have made. Um, but in terms of shaping, I actually left Leeds and I ended up, I did, uh, the thing that actually got me into marketing, to answer your question, uh, and to, and influenced me a lot, is I had, uh, like, a family friend who ran a charity uh, called the National Playbus Association, and they basically converted old buses and took them around like playgrounds, estates and stuff and gave people opportunities to like play and paint and do puppet shows. It was really, it's a cool thing. And, and they, they said, look, we need, we need to raise some money. So I ended up setting up a, a charity bus pool on an old runway in Bristol. And like it was proper cold calling, never done anything like, you know, really didn't know where to start, but managed to pull it off. Got like 12 teams from some big companies in Bristol, like Rolls Royce and, Royal Mail and people like that. And I managed to get the local radio station to come and cover it. And, and I kind of went, oh, okay, right. I, this is fun. Like, I like this. And we raised, you know, £10,000. It was a good amount. But it was fun, right? It was really good. And I kind of, I loved it. But they couldn't they couldn't pay me any money. Um, and then <laughs> there was a building job needing, needed at the house where I was living with my mum. And she volunteered me uh, to the builders because they were a labourer short. So she volunteered me. Anyway, 18 months later, I was still working as a labourer for uh, this building firm. And then the weirdest thing, I was sitting down, literally having a cup of tea with one of the guys there one day. And he said, oh, I, I know a guy who runs a little design agency in, in Bristol. I was like, all right. Because I don't think you should be doing this, you know. I don't think you should be doing this building thing. I think you should go and meet him. And then literally the following week, I was doing three days on a building site. And two days at this little design agency in Bristol writing Bristol City Council's housing news newspaper. Oh, yes. Uh, four pages of housing fun. And um, anyway, I, I realised I loved it and talking to people and back to your point, Mark, around curiosity and how could we do this better? And that sort of, I, I mean, yeah, I fell into it, but I loved it. And I just had that sort of, I did every, I mean, you know, proper interesting start so you know whilst I've met other people who've done the sort of P&G and Unilever <laughs> school of marketing I did the getting the boss sandwiches picking up the phone photocopying washing his car and and getting a bit to do some account management and copywriting at the same time and then that started my kind of definite passion and then just through some interesting things that happened or some opportunities um kind of I suppose got to I don't know where I am now if, if that's a phrase um but yeah, in terms of the influence, look, my I, I think one of the things that's interesting, I was, I was reflecting on this the other day, is the bit I wish I'd known more, I think, at the beginning of my marketing career was business principles, right? So my mum was an art teacher and my dad, they were separated quite when I was quite young. So and my dad was like a 
IT guy in Standard Life in Edinburgh. So they like they didn't they didn't come from a kind of like commercial or business background. So I definitely went into marketing through the sort of creative comms route. That 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 was my start, I suppose, in that way. And I I, I genuinely think I probably made I wouldn't say mistakes, but I I could have made better decisions or I could have made better cases for things if I'd have known some of the, some of the basic principles of, of, of business, which I've definitely learned now. Um, but I think, I think I, it would have been, I would have been a bit, I think I'd have been a bit more useful to a few more people earlier on in my career. If I, if I, if I didn't just have a complete kind of mark on brand brand identity lens on my head, but, but you know, we're there now. So it's good. What a, what a lovely traversing story, Christoph, honestly. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I really, I really think about, you know, your, when, when you said about, you know, having probably sitting down with somebody right next to you and he just said, you know, that it's, you know, you should be doing something different and, and kind of almost probably quite off the cuff in the moment and just gave you that small in with that design agency, which took you onto a completely new path. Yeah. But let me tell you a story about him because it is one of the best stories I, I've, I've come across in my life. So he was a big Irish fella called Steve, like, you know, you could almost go kind of classic kind of builder, right? And then he, and he, but he was the only person reading the Guardian. There were ten of us. He, so he, you know, every, to be honest, half of them couldn't read, right? And he, and he was reading the Guardian. I was like, Steve, what's your story? Anyway, it turns out, and he basically, it was absolutely amazing. So he, he, he was came over from Ireland, landed in Bristol, was ended up building, met this amazing um, woman that he, he fell in love with. But her dad did not approve, right? Because her dad was quite smart. He was a um, like an intellectual kind of, I think he was a professor or something. So Steve stopped building, went to Bristol University, got a first class degree in history in like three years, showed it to the dad. Dad went, okay, well done. And then literally went back to this building job. <laughs> and he was married to that woman. So I just, I was like, Steve, I'm, so it was a funny conversation because he was like, you shouldn't be here. I'm like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be here either. Like we, neither of us should be here. Um, and actually I, I bumped into him about eight years ago and he's, he's still, um, he's still building in Bristol. And <laughs> anyway, so he said, what are you doing? I said, well, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I've done, you know, Martin's like, well, you know, I was, I always thought you weren't cut out for building. I was like, I always thought you, anyway, it's just a really, there's a really, there's a, but, a lovely story in that about him, which which actually gave him the ability to go, Christoph, go and you need to go off, go off and get out of here. Because otherwise, I think I'd have ended up running a small building firm in Bristol. I think that would have been my other uh, my other path. Christoph, I wonder if if there's a reflection here about, as you say, right, two people sitting in an environment, both describing how they both shouldn't be there, but yet one got, goes off to do an extremely different thing versus the other who stays where they are. I just don't know. I mean, I, you know, and I, I wonder and I suspect that's a fairly, that scenario might be a common thing that people experience, right? And yeah. and I wonder, have you have you thought about why? I mean, why did why did you go off and why didn't he? And it could have been vice versa as well, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a, it's a great question. I think my view would probably be, I only took the building job because I needed the money, right? And I think, and I knew I had this, the, the marketing bug or the, I probably didn't even know it was called marketing then, to be honest. The thing of doing the kind of like the comms and the bus pool and doing stuff was in my head, but I did what well, they couldn't give me any money. So it became quite a, 
you know, and I don't come from a, you know, a rich family or anything. So that I had to earn cash. Right. So, so, and then, but I also, I loved the building, right. I was, it was, I was called, <laughs> I called it to someone the other day. It was a zero responsibility job, right. So you, you got picked up at eight or you, and then you did a, you mixed some cement and you put some bricks in and you drove a dumper truck, you finished at half four and, at no point from half four till the next morning did I think about the job, right? It didn't, it just didn't. And it's quite liberating, right? And you got paid, you know, I got paid a check every week and I got a nice 50 pound note to go and spend over the weekend. It was great. But, and it was, you know, it was fun. But, but I think the reason I got, I think it was Steve opened the door for me. And I think because I knew that I, there was something else in me, right? And I think this is an interesting thing about the drive was I was sitting there after 18 months going, God, I could, I think I could do this better, this building thing, right? I think this, I think the way he organizes the teams isn't right. I think the way, I mean, he was a, he was a great, he was a lovely guy, the guy builder, but he was the classic halfway through a job, he would disappear. I'm sure we've all had those uh, builders in our house. Um, he was one of them. And I'd be like, oh, this is awful. Cause people would just like cry and you'd be like, uh, I don't know when we're coming back. <laughs> it's just awful. So, uh, so I think, so there was something in me, there was a drive in me to go, Andy, the way you're running this business is wrong. And I actually had said to him about two weeks before, I said, let me help you run this. Like, let me, let me sit in the office. Let me work on the teams, work out, get the right materials to the right place. So there was something in, and I think what sort of Steve did is went kick and went, actually there's an, and then I was off. And I literally did, I think I did this sort of two days, three days for about two months. And then I was, I was five days in, in at the beginning of the marketing. So yeah, that was, that was the journey. <laughs> Very, very interesting to unpick that journey. Um, Steve, what are you doing? Anyway, um, but but that's a fractional career. Builder, builder and design agency uh, all in one, you know, when people talk about sort of portfolio or whatever. Um, yeah. Very interesting, though. So I'm going to take a bit of a detour. So you, you wish you knew more about business principles. So um, we didn't say it in the intro, but you were the inaugural year or in the inaugural year for the Marketing Academy Fellowship, yeah. which is a great program, done it myself, um, which is to mark a path from CMO to CEO and really does allow marketers to expand their skill set beyond marketing and into the boardroom. So was was that a, a pivot moment for you? And 10 years on, how do you reflect on that as a, you know, putting a big commitment into your personal development? Yeah, I, well, I'm scared it's 10 years, but uh, that's, uh, that's quite scary. Um, I, I loved it, right? And I was, I fought tooth and nail to get on that first, um, first, first course um, because I just, I, I think I was at that point. I, I needed, to, I needed to do more, and I needed to understand more, definitely. And you know, there's a bunch of people I knew had gone off and done MBAs, and I, I don't, I kind of flirted with that, and I hadn't done it right. So I was like, right, I've got, to get, I've got to get exposed to this stuff and more. Like obviously, I was, I think I was at Hills at the time. And of course, look, but I think by that point, my, I definitely developed a lot of commercial business skills. I wasn't in the same place, but I just wanted exposure to more things um, and to be challenged a bit. And I, and I, yeah, I, you know, did the application and all that stuff. And then I remember it was complicated because Sherilyn rang me and she said, um, there's another, because it was meant to be, you could only have one person from each sector on the course, right? So, because otherwise in terms of like the sharing and the, she goes, well, there's another guy from a gambling company and he's okay if you're okay. And I was like, I was fine. So it was, it was good. But I, but I, I, I just, I loved it. And I came away from every one of those sessions and times away and, you know, talks from the guys at McKinsey, you know, just the, 
people just telling you stuff and you know he's like oh, that's good, that's good. and the ability to ask questions I think yeah I came out of there just a bit turbocharged I think in terms of thinking and but more importantly probably just taking a more I don't try to think sort of structured lens to things I think was one of the things I took out of that like there was a just in terms of how you thought about problems in in both in the round commercially and in more in the more medium and long term as well I think I'd been quite particularly in that as I said in the betting and gaming world it's quite a quick business so you didn't really have sort of doing a long term like what are we trying to do with this business how are we going to grow and I think I came out of that just going right this you have to get the balance right between the kind of short mid and long um and that was really interesting but I, I mean I, I mean I mean Mark I know you've done I, I absolutely loved it and I think actually we talked about it when you were going through when you were about to apply, and I think um, you, you you gave me the advice to go for it and how to go about going for it. So yeah, thank you for that. Actually, ten years on, similarly. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved it, and I I think yeah, it was a real just just gave me. I think uh, fundamentally, it just gave me a load of tools I didn't have before, and I think that's really important. I think I've actually still got all the papers, <laughs> literally all the kind of modules and stuff behind me here, and. You know, it, you do look out stuff. You go, oh, God, I'm sure we had a thing on that. And if you've got a nice little, you know, six or seven pager that you just go, oh, right, okay, there's a way of doing that. Um, so it's great. It's been really helpful. Yeah, wonderful. And then, of course, another big element um, of the marketing academies around the network and peer group that you you garner from it. And I just wonder, I mean, you know, this is sort of perhaps a slightly wider question than the academy, but just in your experience and, and of your career, what extent has um, a peer group or a community or um, a mentor group of sorts really played a role in your success? Uh, a lot, I think. I've, uh, I, it's I've, I've worked, so I, I love being able to talk to people about problems, right? And I'm quite a, a kind of relatively straightforward, honest person, and I don't, I don't keep keep things to myself. So, so you know, I'll talk to anyone about anything, and then I'll ask their ask their views. I think I've been very lucky to work for three really like good people and they're very different, right? So there was a guy called Alex Batchelor who I worked for at Orange, who you, you guys probably know. He was actually on the fellowship as well, which was interesting on that first one. And he's he's just he was just one of those guys I worked for at Orange and he he was sort of opened my mind to how uh, how bright someone could be and how nice someone could be. And he he we we still talk a bit and I will run stuff past him and he's always got a view and he's he's very good at thinking in the round. So he's someone like he's someone I've absolutely and then actually my boss at Hills, Ralph, who was you know, he's classic, started at Hills when he was eighteen in a shop in Glasgow, ended up running the company when he was fifty three or fifty four. But he was probably the biggest change agent I've ever worked for. Um and and what you know, it was a it was an interesting place to work for lots of different reasons. But he was sometimes his perspective on stuff and his ability just to unpick things was incredible. And I think I learned a lot from that. And then you know, used to use him quite a lot just to run stuff past. And then actually, my current boss Nickel is again just one of the kind of brightest people I've worked for. But we, it was interesting. We had we were reflecting on this the other day. Actually, we had a sort of team away day. I think it took me and him a couple of months to sort of work out a a, a good relationship and and what I've found now which is brilliant is I just use him as an advisor right so it's I mean he's obviously my boss right <laughs> and he obviously controls my pay and rations so let's just put that let's make that clear 
but he's also the kind of person I can ring up and go, Nick, I'm thinking this, and I'm I'm just a bit worried about that. And you you got a perspective, and he's great. Like I just I called him yesterday for five minutes, and I'm just like, he's like, yeah, but have you thought about it from this? I'm, oh God, no, I haven't. Right, okay, great, thanks, and just scurried away and did some thinking and came back with a great answer. Right, so so I think I I. I like, and then of course, you know, there's there's people. On, I mean, you know, there's that kind of great, great kind of marketing academy WhatsApp group, which is just like a like a hive mind of information. I mean, you drop questions in there, and you get like you know great responses. And so I'm I'm constantly trying to find people to talk to, and it may be, and it's often people who've maybe even worked for me before, or who, who I've gone like you know, you know, I used to do that, and was that good, and. Can I change and and I think some of that stuff's been really helpful. So I, I'm very I love having a yeah I don't I suppose maybe my whole thing is I can't solve problems myself right I just it's just I have a view I have a thought and I'll often have a quite a clear view in my head but I desperately want people around me to challenge me say it's rubbish say it's half good maybe on occasion say it's really good I mean it's nice to hear it on occasion. Um, and 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 then I'll totally swerve and change and, and I and I will use just even a leadership team at Moonpig and previous leadership teams is just sounding boards, right? Just like give me another perspective. Because they will all come with different, you know, our ops guy at Moonpig is super smart, right? And sometimes you share stuff with him. He like the, this week this week we're doing some stuff on like processes. I, I had a half an hour on the phone with him and he taught me more about processes because that's like kind of something he did at Cambridge. I was like, literally, it was like having a McKinsey masterclass in 25 minutes. Brilliant. And, I just, that, and I'm like, I just, just a little nugget this week of never knew processes had more, how much thinking had been done behind them and never had someone explain it so quickly and so sensibly to a point where I got it. And I was like, oh, okay. That was really good. So, um, so I was going to go next to... Um, you're in a business of joy now and gambling on the face of it is a business of joy at that moment of winning. Uh, over the last 10 years, the sort of the social responsibility side and dealing with addiction is, is really grown as a thing. As you look in the rear view mirror, how, how did that play out in terms of understanding that there's, you know, that ultimately it creates winners and losers? Yeah, I think that's, it's, there's a couple of things around that. I think the gambling, I mean, one, as a, I think if when you go into that sector, you have to feel comfortable. You have to be comfortable. And look, my, yeah. my, my, my granddad was was a bit of a Saturday afternoon horse racing punter. So it was kind of wasn't in the family, but it was it went on. And and look, I, my thing was I halfway through the process, I went and sat actually in a William Hill in Kingston for most of the day. I just drank tea. I'd go to the machines, bet on some greyhounds. And I just, I, I really enjoyed it. We had a proper laugh with the people in there. And I'm like, right, I'm in. I love this. It's great. So I think that's really important to kind of test test the environment before you before you go in. I think in my time, uh, both at Hills and Labrooks, the whole sector just got a, just got so much better, right? And and I think it was really helped by people coming in from the outside and going, mm, maybe we need to be, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need to watch that. Maybe we need to be less aggressive with that promotion at that time. Right. And I think some of those things, and then also just bringing in, I think stronger boards with better oversight was also helpful because I think, I, I think you, you had an industry that was people had been in it for a long time and therefore 
there'd not been a lot of outside challenge, I think. And then you have people like Betfair and Skybet starting up, who are much more tech-led businesses, obviously. But Hills and Labrooks were, you know, they were the people who started at 18 and were now in senior manager roles. Um, and But I, I think where gambling has got to now, and I think it's, it's, it's part government, it's part regulation, but it's a lot of the industry just, I don't know, like sort of just just sort of tidying itself up, polishing itself and just making sure it's it's still providing a product to, you know, 99.4% of people who gamble, gamble completely responsibly and have no issue, right? And there's a very small, very small less who, who develop an issue. And it's the same in other industries like alcohol or whatever it might be, but it's important to, it's, as you say, it's important to go, how do we make sure that group have a huge amount of fun and love what they do? And how do we make sure this tiny sliver here are properly looked after and are spotted early? Because the patterns are there, right? And I think that's the key thing. And actually, I think tech has been a huge part of that because it can it can pull patterns together super quickly where you can start to see behaviours that may take someone down a different path. And then it's it's on those companies to intervene early and 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 also collectively as well because it's the whole point of if you you know if if hills barred a customer or said you're not going to gamble with us anymore there's another eight companies or even 20 now given online or apps that they can go to so that they they have to work together so so i think looking back on it's it's it's, a, it's in a much much better place but i think it was getting there when i was there and i think it's really good to see that it's just got that momentum has absolutely carried on Super. Well, thanks, thanks for that, Christoph. And look, time is time is running by, so I'll I'll make this the last question. Um, during the course of of, of, of the discussion, you used the phrase uh, "got to where I am now," and I love that. And and you know, so many things accomplished, and you know, worked in the top marketing job over a number of companies and sectors. So I'd just like to get your point of view on you know. Do you see yourself at some point, you know, taking on the top job as CEO or do you feel like marketing is where it's at and this is where you want to spend the rest of your career? Do you have a, do you have a, a point of view on the next, next phases? Yeah, I, I, uh, yes and no. It's a weird one. I think one of the great things about the fellowship was you go on that process of like thinking about what you want to do, where you want to go. And I, I know it was 10 years ago. And, and I, it's interesting. I think... If I was desperate for a CEO title, and I'm using these words quite carefully, there have been one or two opportunities I could have taken, right? And I haven't because they weren't right and they, I couldn't be passionate about what, what that role was and, and, the, and, the, and the company. So I also absolutely love marketing. Like I just have this Thing. like it makes me really happy and, and I really enjoy it and I really enjoy the sector and I really enjoy the people and and I love I love driving commercial growth in a business through marketing I think it's just brilliant and it's and I so so I kind of not sitting on the fence I kind of like I think if a great opportunity came I would give it absolutely my best you're back to my kind of fight teeth and nail for it um but I'm not chasing it down because I think I, I want CEO after my name so I think that's that's my that's the that's the that's where my head's at. Um, and so yeah, my in the future. I don't know. Like, I, go on, Mark. Sorry. No, no, you can keep going. Keep going. No, so I, 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 if I go back and say, look, I, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm one of those people who, who didn't have a plan at the beginning, as we've, as I've probably, as we, I've probably shared this morning, um, and I've probably got a bit more of a plan as I as I went through. At the, you know, right now I love what I do. I love what I'm doing. I love the company I work in. I love the people I work with, um, and I'm having a great time. You never know what's around the corner, but I'm yeah, I'm not sitting there going, I if I'm not a CEO by the time you know in the next couple of years, I'm going to be disappointed. I, 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 that's not that's not in my head. Well, I, that was a, that was a good build, actually. I'm glad you did extend, because, uh, but it was an extension of the same point, which is a lovely answer, which is you love your craft, you love what you're doing, uh, and therefore you're never going to be running away from something. You'd be running to something, and therefore yeah. it would be the right opportunity. But, Christoph, what a, what a lovely experience to hear more about you, hear what makes you tick. I'm just going to put a, put a few learnings out, or what are some of the reflections from it? Um, just for everybody's reflection. So uh, we started really, really talking about pace uh, and, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's fun, but I think you like running at pace and, and how that's led you to be able to make some instinctive decisions. And frankly, two blinding ones would be bring, to bring back Bajingla and the Moonpigs as the key <laughs> distinctive brand assets for, for the brand that you're leading. Um, so, you know, good early wins. Um, but then we, t- we talked a lot about how the answers lie within and maybe in plain sight and, and curiosity. Um, and so you say you were an accidental marketer, but I think, you know, what's come through is you've got a lot of the core in- instincts and insights that make for a great marketer. But, it, but, but, you know, you might have, Steve, I mean, where's Steve? You might have just become a builder, not that it's a bad thing, but you wouldn't have gone to achieve all the amazing things you've done. Clearly, the fellowship was a pivotal year, gave you the tools, the peer group uh, and the impetus and the breadth. Um, so big shout out to Sherilyn and the Marketing Academy. Um, I love the way you talk about your bosses. I mean, Alex Batchelor, if anybody who doesn't know him, very bright and very nice is a great <laughs> summary. Um, but it characterizes your openness to learning from other people. Um, open-mindedness, growth mindset comes through. We talked a little bit about gambling and some of the balance and juggles there. But it's clear that you know you, you made the point, test the environment, but you were going to an environment you knew well and obviously excelled. And they were also catapult points for your, uh, for your career. Um, but my, my close and perhaps the nice point is a, a reiteration of that you clearly have a love of marketing, um, but in a commercial way. So it's not like you love jingles and characters. You join the dots on how that drives commercial performance, yeah. uh, as opposed to, you know, one without the other is, you know, they're, 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 they go together, don't they? And I think they certainly do in your head. So, so maybe you will go on to be a CEO in the right circumstances at the right time. But in the meantime, I think you've still got a massive amount to bring to Moonpig and to the marketing world. Um, so thank you for your time this morning. It's been a pleasure and a privilege, and I know everyone listening in will appreciate it. So thank you, Christoph. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely loved it.